All right. Well, go ahead and look in your outline there, uh, if you will, of the sermon. Uh, I want to jump right in and uh, just basically, if you look there in the introduction, have you ever thought about the man behind the Psalms? Now, what we're going to do over these next five weeks is we're going to study the life of King David. And, and, and really, what went into making him the man that he was and the man that he became. But then over the summer, we're going to have uh, Psalms in the summer. And Gary and I are going to tag team that sermon series. So all through the summer, we're going to be looking at different Psalms. Many of them uh, David did write. And so we're going to kind of prepare you to see the person who lived as King David and then in the Psalms see more of his heart. So... Look at this. David the shepherd boy who became king expressed his heart toward God through songs. Songs that have comforted many throughout the ages. He was a man who, reject, who reached the highest of heights and the lowest of lows. Proving that everyone is capable of rising to accomplish the greatest of feats and also fallen in the worst of sins. Yet he was considered by a New Testament writer, and of course we know if it's a New Testament writer, the Holy Spirit enabled them to write this. He was a man after God's own heart. When you read the Psalms, there's no doubt that he is that man. So over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at the man behind the music. Now, let's start as I set this up for today. David was the youngest of eight sons of a poor farmer. He was from a tiny town of Bethlehem, and he was literally a simple shepherd. However, this is what is interesting about David. David, excluding Jesus' his impact and, and influence on the kingdom of God, reaches the heights of those like Moses, Elijah, and even the Apostle Paul. Now, what's fascinating about his story is he was almost overlooked. Now, think about this. How many of you at times feel like you're overlooked? You feel like you got so much more to offer, but you feel like you're overlooked. Now, in David's case, it wasn't just the people that he knew and acquaintances with. His own family overlooked him, especially when it came to the calling of God on his life. So here's the key to what we need to look at this morning. No one saw in David what God saw in David, and David knew it, and that leads us to Psalm 139. We, we've quoted from Psalm 139 many times over the last six months. But I want you to see what he writes in verse 13. He says, For you form my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. He's not just stating these things about what God is in his life. He's talking about this in the way that he's experienced this. He said, my soul knows this very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes, they saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written the days that you fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. You see, David saw his life. When he writes this, he saw his life as a life of purpose. He knew there was something that, that God had created him for. He knew there was something that God saw in him that he could use. And y'all, that's just not David. That's every one of us sitting here in this room. 
If we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, I'm here to tell you there is a plan, there is a purpose, and there's things that God sees in you that probably no one else sees in you because he's the one who skillfully wrought and made you who you are. So if you will, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And chapter 16 is our first introduction to David. In chapter 16, if, you, if we were to look at the context of what's happening in this chapter, it begins with God's rejection of King Saul. Now remember, Saul's rise to power came through the people. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people of Israel demanded a king. They wanted a king just like the other nations. So God gave them a king. He gave them what they asked for. Now, how many of you are thankful you look back over your life and you, you're thankful that sometimes God did not give you what you asked for? Well, this is one of them cases where they may soon regret what they've asked for. You see, we understand that this was not necessarily the plan of God. God gave them a king like the other nations, a king who lived for the praises of the people. Saul would prove to be a king who was insecure and did not have much courage. And soon, God would reject him as king. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, we find the transition from Saul to David. We go from the people's choice to God's choice. And that's what we're going to be looking at today as it relates to David's calling. So here's the question. How does God choose how does he choose? His choices, we need to understand this first, his choices are sovereign. Sovereignty means royal authority. It literally means supreme power with no possible threats. Now, how many of you would say that describes God very well? And it does. There's no threats when it comes to those who come against God. There's no threat. The greatest picture of his sovereignty, sovereignty in the universe is found, if you were to look there, in Revelations chapter 4 and 5. In our Wednesday night Bible study, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Revelation. And, and, and what we found in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 is the very throne room of God and the activities that surround that throne. And the thing that we come away with after seeing that throne is the fact that God is sovereign over the universe. God is one who is the absolute rule in the universe. From this attribute, we get what his name is, Adonai, meaning Lord of all. And that is a brief description of the sovereignty of God. But his sovereignty, if you look there, involves sovereign providence. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, now Samuel was the prophet of the day, this is the, per the prophet God was using in the days of King Saul and now in the days of the king who will be King David. He says, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Now, that is pretty strong language. And what makes it even stronger is the fact that a sovereign God says it. I have rejected him. Providence, if you were to look in the context of what we're looking at, means oversight and control exercised by deity. It's an event. It could be an event ordained by deity. And the thing that we find here wrapped up in these three words, I have rejected. It is sovereignty talking. 
Against the backdrop of rebellion and rejection, God begins the process of choosing a new king for Israel. God was working behind the scenes to raise up this new king. And that's the reason I believe David could write in Psalms 139, and in your book were all written the days, and here's how he describes it, fashion for me, purpose, plan. He saw his life in the hands of a sovereign God, a providential God, when yet there was none of them. David saw that his life was in the hands of God, that his life was going to have influence over those in his kingdom, and God was going to use him in mighty ways. Now, let me just say this. You may say there's a big difference between King David and where I am today. Not really. There may be a grander scale for people like King David, but I think God basically calls us to do really the same thing, except some things are on a grander scale. I think he calls us to bring glory to his name. I think he calls us to live a faithful life that, that reveals the heart of God to people around us. I think he, he calls us, as we find out in the New Testament, to be salt and light, to have influence around those who are, who are around us in such a way that they can become all that God desires them to be. And I think for King David, it may be at a different level than many of us. But I think the same thing applies and I think if you would be honest and look at your life through this lens, you will find that God has fashioned your days also. Look at what he says in verse, 16, I mean, verse 1 of chapter 16. He says, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. Now, what's he doing? God is raising up his man. Samuel is told to go to find this new king. God's choice for king, listen, this is what's interesting, literally when you think about it, was being prepared years before. How many of you remember Rahab? Do you remember her in the scriptures? Do you realize that Rahab was saved out of paganism? She, many of you may not know this, becomes the mother of Boaz. Boaz marries Ruth, who's also saved out of paganism. Boaz and Ruth are the great-grandparents of David. He's a simple shepherd boy, and if you think about his stories, we know he kills a bear and a lion. He would work in the king's palace, played for King Saul. Do you remember that going down? Do you remember? He literally had access to the palace. There was something about David that Saul saw in him that really ministered to him. He is also a picture of the sovereign plan of God. So here's what we need to think about. When it comes to God's sovereignty and providence, his plans and his preparation and his perfect timing is always right. His plans, his preparation, and the timing is always right. You know why? Because God can see so much more than what we're capable of seeing. God is sovereign and he's providential. I want you to think about your own life. There's a plan. You say, it doesn't seem to be that clear to me. Maybe you look at your life and you see maybe what you would call a lot of loose ends sitting out there. Maybe there's experiences that you had that were not so great. Maybe there are circumstances that you've dealt with in your life that shook you to your core. And you can't see how God could use any of that in your life. Maybe you're sitting here today and maybe... 
You have gone the way of the world. Maybe there was a, a season of your life in which you walked away from God or, or, or didn't even acknowledge God. And now you're looking at your life and you see all these loose ends. Let, let me just tell you this. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're a redeemed person, is what the Bible calls you, you are a child of God. He has a plan for your life. He really does. That's just not something popular a lot of pastors say. But he does. He has a plan. And here's what you need to understand about your life. God wastes nothing in your life. He doesn't. He doesn't waste anything. How many of you have seen God take your failures and bring things to his glory? How many of you have seen circumstances that were so unimaginable, you never thought you could go through that, yet you, saw, you came out on the other side and saw God's hand in it after you got on the other side? God is full of those things. And in your book, it says they were written, days fashioned for me when yet there were none. God can take the loose ends of your life, stream it together, and make a perfect work of art with your life. He's fully capable. And here's what's so great about it. It doesn't matter what's in your past. It doesn't matter. The, the enemy may come at you. Your own soul may speak to you with all the guilt and shame that debilitates you and holds you down. But God doesn't see that. He sees you as a redeemed person. He sees you as a person who's never existed before in Christ. That's how he sees us. And he can take those loose ends and bring them all together. Next, God's choices are sovereign, and it involves his sovereign power. Look at verse 1 again. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Now think about what's getting ready to happen here. Samuel, the man of God used during this time period, he is going to go and he's going to find the next king of Israel, the next king of Israel. This would be someone who would lead the nation of God's people. And he goes forth in power. He tells them where this person will be awaiting. You know, it's interesting when you begin to look at those who throw their fist up in the face of God in rebellion and, and basically say, you won't overcome me, and, and they just live in flat-out rebellion. How many of you are amazed at how, how, how we see that so much in the world today? We, we do. We see it in so many ways. There's a story of Napoleon. Napoleon was a conquering emperor of France and he ruled from 1804 to 1814. Napoleon, at the, height of his career, at the height of his career, is reported to have given this cynical answer to someone who asked this. Is God on the side of France? Napoleon responded, God is on the side that has the heaviest artillery. Then came the Battle of Waterloo, where Napoleon lost not only the battle but also his empire. Years later, in exile, on the island of St. Helena, chastened and humble, Napoleon is reported to have quoted the words of Thomas Kempis, which says, man proposes, but God disposes. Do you see how the power of God works in this world? Do you see how God rejected Saul? God rejected him and said, no. 
I have one. He brings David to the center. It was man who proposed. It is God who disposed in this situation. And we see the power of God. So look on your outline. What are the lessons from God's sovereignty? First of all, there are no accidents in life. No accidents. You may say, I, I, I've made a misery out of my life. I, I, I'm, he can still use it. He can take all the loose ends. Everything that occurs in our lives is part of what I believe of a larger plan. God is always working behind the scenes in ways we cannot comprehend to accomplish his plans and his purposes. I want you to think about this. When I look back over my life, I see God's hand in my life. I really do. And some of you may be sitting there and you're like, you know something? I don't see that so clearly in my life. You're a blessed person to see God's hand in your life. No, if you look close enough, you'll see God's hand in your life. You really will. Some of you, 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 I think part of the problem, the reason you can't see God's hand in your life is you're, you're blinded by the guilt and the shame of your past. And, and you can't see how God can work anything. And you're literally paralyzed when it comes to seeing God work in your life because you're just carrying around that bondage. Some of you live in fear. Some of you are, are, don't allow God to, to bring courage into your life when he asks you to step out when you need to step out. And for many of us, we feel like we failed in so many different ways. But when I look back over my life, I'm just here to tell you, God has used everything to bring me to this point in my life. Did I make mistakes? Oh, my goodness, yes. Did, did, I, did, I, did I act out in rebellion at times? Oh, yes. But when I look at, back at it, you know what? I, I see a plan that has unfolded. I can see that God has fashioned his days, the, the days for myself. You say, boy, that's an egocentric way of looking at your life. No, that's what the Bible tells us. We can see God's hand in our life. But you know what else I see? I see when I look around how God has brought people into my life. You see, so much of what God has done in my life has been through the people he's sent my way. Those who came around me when, when I was really struggling to know what it meant to be a dad and to, to know what it meant to be a father, to, uh, to, to know what it meant to be a husband and one that could, could, could provide and do for his family. And, and those times where I just seemed so confused and God sent someone in to help mentor me and walk me through certain things. God bringing me to this place 31 years ago, 31 years ago, and just seeing the people that God has surrounded me with. I see God's hand in every bit of it. And some of those people, I've had to perform their funerals. And that's the trouble when you stay in one place so long. And I look at that and I see just how God has just worked in my life, worked in my life. And he's worked at it through his word. He's worked at it through sometimes my disobedience. He's worked at it through most, a lot of times through the people he's surrounded me with. But there are no accidents in life. The people that God has surrounded you with, God wants to use in your life. Number two, God is able to bring his plans to pass. He's fully capable. We may not understand his plans, but they will come to pass. Next, it extends to every area of life. You may sit there and say, you mean he can use every area of my life? Absolutely. L listen to what it says. And we know that all things work together for those who love God, 
to those who are called according to his purpose. This verse does not just apply to King David's. This verse applies to all of us. And when it says all things, what, does that, what could that include? It could include our failures. It can include our victories, our limitations, our circumstances. You name it, God can use it in your life in a beautiful way. Next, God's choices are sovereign. His choices, first of all, second of all, are surprising. Surprising. First of all, surprising in its rejections. Look at chapter 16, verse 6. So it was... When they came, that he looked, this is Samuel, he's, the setting here is he's looking at all the, the, the sons of Jesse. Remember, David had eight brothers, and, brothers, and, and what we find here is David begins, uh, Samuel begins to have each of the brothers pass by, and that's what you see here. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab, he's the oldest, and said, this is Samuel's summa, summation of what he saw. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He just knew this was going to be the guy. It made sense. He was the oldest. It made sense. He, he probably looked like he fit the part. But here's what's interesting. Skip down to verse 8. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse uh, made uh, Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has this one been chosen by the Lord. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. These that you have put before me, they are not the one that God has chosen. How many of you sometimes are shocked at what God doesn't use sometimes, or shocked at certain people that you think fit the bill that he basically rejects. Saul seemed to be, excuse me, Samuel seemed to be very impressed with Eliab. He, he was like, surely this is it. This, oh, this was easy. I show up. I, I, I'm, I'm able to handle this. I can go back home to the house and get my own bed. <laughs> no, no uh-uh. He, he, he met all seven. None of them. He was shocked. If you were to say, okay, give us an idea of what was going on with Sam. He was shocked that these seven didn't make the cut. He was shocked. How many of you have noticed that there's people around you that seem so much, maybe they're smarter, maybe they're better looking, maybe they seem to have it all together, and that you can name all these different things that all these different people have that's better than you, and, and yet... You, you look at your life and you think, man, this is just my simple, ordinary life. Uh, can God raise that ordinary life to be, pretty, to be pretty spectacular? He can. He can. I, I'm amazed at what God uses. I'm amazed at how he's used me. I, I still, to this day, I'm blown away. I'm blown away, by the way, some of, the way God uses some of you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but, but aren't, wouldn't we all be honest about that? We would probably all be honest about that. I, I, you know, because we know our limitations. We know our weaknesses. They glare at us sometimes. We know where we have failed him. But there's that characteristic of faithfulness and loyalty and, and the heart that's capable. Listen, this is the key. The heart that's capable of being molded 
for his glory. And sometimes I believe that's what he sees. You see, here's what's interesting. If you were to skip over to chapter 17, look at verse 28. Eliab appears to be the man that Samuel thinks this is the guy. And yet David has a run, run in with Eliab a little later, okay? They're out and they're at battle. And look at verse 28 of chapter 17. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? So obviously David was supposedly out of place by showing up at the battle lines. He's supposed to have been home doing something else. We're about to read that. Why did you come down there? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Do you see how he's belittling his brother? You had this small thing to do with your life over here in the corner somewhere. Why are you here where the action is? Why are you here where the glory is going to be? Why are you even here? And then he says this about David. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? <laughs> you ever felt like saying that sometimes? What have I done now? Can't please you. Can't. And then he says this, is there not a cause? He's basically saying this, can I not even speak on my behalf? That brother in which there was so much made about him and, and, and all the things that were there. And Samuel, God's man, said, this has got to be the guy. He was rejected, and now he's running down the very choice that God does have. And David, aren't you glad David didn't just listen to his brothers and allowed them to beat him down to where he couldn't rise to the occasion of what God had called him to? That's where some of us find ourselves. Some of you are in this life, you've been beat down all your life. Some of you have been told you wouldn't amount to anything. Some of you have heard it from teachers, parents, or, or whomever. And, and, and you do, you just feel beat down and beat down and beat down. And, and sometimes you don't know where to turn. And, but you know, David, he refused to listen to that one that seemed so promising. The one that everybody seemed to respect the most who didn't respect him. And he just stayed steady with God. That's all he did, really. Eliab may have been mature looking on the outside, but not on the inside. He was not the kind of man, listen, God could use for his glory. So here's what, here, I kind of want to carry us back to the thought I just had. Some of you may not be seen as a somebody. Maybe you've been passed up, overlooked, but God knows you and where you are. Maybe the way people see you has caused you to see yourself as they see you instead of God, how God sees you. I know there's several pastors in this room or have been pastors over the years, and, and I think they would agree with this statement. A lot of times the people we meet with for counseling, a lot of times when you really strip away what's really at the core of what's happening in people's lives is they're believing lies about themselves. They don't understand fully who they are in Christ. They don't understand what the potential God has for them in their life. And so basically they're kind of under the heap. And, and many of them have insecurities and they act out of those insecurities and you ruin the relationships around them. And, and, and they don't know where to turn because they don't see themselves in light of God's truth. They're believing the lies that they've been told all their life. 
They're believing the lies of the enemy. They're believing the lies of those around them. They're believing the lies that they have within themselves. And God wants so much more. But for many people, you know where you got to start? You got to replace the lie with the truth. You got to come to the understanding of who you are in Christ and who you are according to God's word before we, you can move and be considered and see God work those issues out in your life. Next, God's choices are surprising in its requirements. I want you to turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Look at verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. Speaking of Eliab, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How many of you found that to be true? It could be stated many times, my, how the mighty have fallen. Because we lift them up. We see them. We lift them up. We're responsible for, and yet he's saying, don't be looking at that. That, that doesn't tell you anything. Look at what God looks at. God sees what we cannot see. God looks at the condition of the heart. Now, think about this. We tend to look for leaders who possess certain characteristics that we think will spell out success, influence, power, intelligence, means. And maybe these go into the equation, but they can't be indicators in and of themselves. Our culture says credibility comes from a certain look or a certain skill. But when God, what God looks for, he looks for integrity, character, faithfulness, holiness. Someone who's steady. Someone who's available. And this is what I think is really the biggest thing. Someone who's teachable. You say, well, why would you put teachable as on this list? Why, why is that a big deal? Here, here, you can look at David and find out why. Look at his life. Look at the scope of his life. Here's what you'll find. When David was humble and was teachable, God did great things to this man's life. When he got to the point where no one could tell him anything, when he got to the point where he thought he had it all figured out, when he got to the point where he was letting other people handle the responsibilities that he was walking away from, that's when he got in trouble because he no longer was teachable. We often judge people by the way they are. Sometimes we turn it this way. We judge people by the way they are. While God looks at people by what they can be. What they can be. How many of you are glad that God does that? It's not necessarily what we are, but what we're capable of becoming. That's a good lesson for us as parents, isn't it? To, to see what our child's capable of becoming. A little story about our family. Um, we always thought our son was going to be great. We really did. We, we, we were so optimistic. We, we thought he would either be a person God could use or a great evil mastermind. We knew either way <laughs> he would be great. I'm serious. I mean, we looked at it I was like, man, he's going somewhere. We're not sure which path this is going to take, but he's going somewhere. We knew that by the time he was four years old. We really did. And it was pretty intimidating, to be honest with you, because he was smarter than we were and had a bigger vocabulary than we did. We just had to make him not know that, right? <laughs> had to keep him in the dark. <laughs> but think about it. <clears throat> His choices. 
Next, God's choices are surprising in its receptions. David, the youngest, doing the job of a humble servant, not invited to the feast nor the sacrifice. Think about it. All this grandeur that came from the prophet that was coming to the city to look for the next king. And he wasn't even invited. He wasn't even in the place. The one rejected and overlooked by his family is chosen by God. Sometimes, how many of you agree that we overlook the obvious? But God loves to take nobodies and make somebodies out of them. He's done that in many of your lives. And he wants to continue to do that. He chooses the most unlikely persons to accomplish great things. The key to being used by God is possessing. Here's the key, possessing the right heart. That's what he's looking at. The Bible is very clear in this story that he does. So what does that heart look like? Well, his, his choices, look on your line, are specific. I want you to think about it. God sent Samuel to a specific town, to a specific family, to the specific person he had chosen to be the next king. Now, how many of you, if you were Samuel and you were put through everything he was put through, I mean, God's already told you the city, the family, wouldn't it have been nice to just go ahead and give you the name of the person? How many of you have thought that would have been so much easier? But how many of you also realize God wastes nothing? Do you think Samuel could have been taught a lesson here? Do you think Jesse, the father, could have been taught a lesson? How many of you, when you look back over your life, you see, God taught me a lesson here. I wasn't aware he was working on a lesson. He taught me a lesson here. Here's another lesson. Here's another lesson. And the same thing was going on with his own man, Samuel. I mean, think about it. Samuel said, Eliab's the guy. I mean, he, look at the guy. He's a specimen of a man. I mean, look at what he's, he's, he's got to be the guy. And God said, nope. Seven others went, nope. This other guy. I mean, if you thought that would have been a valuable lesson for Samuel. Don't look at the outer person. Look at the heart. How many of us need to be reminded of that? We look around in this day of celebrity and huge egos and people lifting themselves to, to great platforms and many millions of people lifting them to great platforms of influence. And yet they could be, they are sometimes many times they're furthest away from the heart of God. And we see those platforms being raised and built and all that. And all this energy going into, it's amazing. When God says, don't look at that platform, look at the heart. Look at the heart. But why David? God chooses those who are reliable. Look at verse 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. <clears throat> He's basically saying, we're not going to eat till we figure this out. We're going to put everything on hold until it's done. So when God calls David, here he finds him faithfully doing what he's been told to do. He's keeping the sheep. A lonely, dirty job. He even at times will have to risk his own life to take care of this, what appears to be meaningless job. After he's anointed, then he goes back to tending the sheep. Look at verse 19. 
Therefore, Saul sent messengers to David and said, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. He is going to go through the process of being anointed. He's going through the process of being told, yes, you're the next king of Israel, to going back to being faithful in the little things. And that was the very thing that God saw in him that he liked. He was faithful in the little things. He had a servant focus. He had a teachable spirit. He lived a very ordinary life. Next, God chooses those who are ready. Look at verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was a ruddy with bright eyes. He was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. Now here's what's interesting about it. Some people say the word ruddy means he may have been uh, fair complected with reddish hair and, and all that. I mean, he, he was something else. Says he bright eyes means he was a healthy specimen. Uh, good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Now, when David's brothers are brought in before Samuel in verse 5, you'll see that they had to be sanctified before the, before the prophet could do anything dealing with them. Their sins had to be dealt, been dealt with before they were ready to worship and discern the will of God in the matter. But, but here's what's interesting. It doesn't say that David had to be anointed, does it? If you read the whole account, he's not brought in. Oh, first we've got to anoint him. We've got to take care of what's wrong in his life before we see the hand of God in all this. No, he came in ready. It appeared he was already anointed, already there. He's dealt with the sin. When David is brought in, there's evidently no need for him to be sanctified. He appears to be ready. David seems to be a picture of a believer who keeps his heart in the state of readiness. This is the kind of person God uses. God uses these, not dirty vessels. Next, God's choices, chooses, I'm sorry, those who are redeemed. Look to verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. This is amazing. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Wow, you, you're talking about some responsibility. Now, now, let me tell you this. Spirit of the Lord just didn't come on anybody back in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, we find that at times the Spirit of the Lord would come upon people, but not like we are in the New Testament. The Bible says that when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Spirit indwells us. David, from this point, this is, this is language that's not used to the Old Testament. It says the Spirit of God came upon him. Boy, what a special moment. <clears throat> and we see this here. Think about that. God calls those who know him, those who know him, those in a faith relationship with, one, with him, who live clean lives, who are ready, reliable, and available to be used by him. Behind David's faithful life is where we find the music, the Psalms. So here's the application. God continues to call out those he can use to advance his kingdom, even those who are overlooked by many. <clears throat> Are you willing to be used? Can I tell you this? There's no greater joy when you feel like God's using you. And, and it doesn't have to be in some grandiose way. Sometimes it's just a simple act of obedience. Sometimes it's a simple act of courage. Sometimes it's just it's a lifelong lesson. But here's the question. Do you feel unworthy? Maybe a low self-esteem? 
Maybe there have been those in your life who told you you wouldn't amount to anything. Or maybe there's some of you who say, you know something, that's for some, but it's not for me. I've got too much baggage in my background. Let me tell you something. When you, by the time you get to the New Testament, you know what you'll find out? Many of those that Jesus brought into salvation, many of those who continued to walk were saved from some pretty bad backgrounds, pretty tough backgrounds. The Apostle Paul, think about his background. The woman at the well, think about hers. I mean, these people come from some tough backgrounds. And yet, Jesus basically told him, walk away from that and walk towards me. Walk towards me and you'll have eternal life. For some of you this morning as we're about to close, you need to change the lie for truth. Here's what you need to understand. This is what the Bible says about you are loved, you're accepted, you're a child of God. If you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, this describes you. You are a joint heir with Jesus, shared in his inheritance. You are a temple of God. His spirit now lives in you. You are a member of Christ's body. You're redeemed and forgiven. You're complete in Jesus. You are free from condemnation. You are a new creation in Christ. You are chosen by God, holy and dearly loved. You are established, anointed, and sealed by God's Spirit. You do not have a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and a sound mind. You have direct access to God. You are chosen to bear fruit. You can always know the presence of God because He never leaves you. God works in you to help you do the things He wants you to do, what He's called you to do, those days He fashioned for you. You can ask God for wisdom, and guess what? The Bible says He'll give it to you in your time of need. And last of all, listen, you are more than a conqueror in Jesus. More than a conqueror. The bondage that may be holding you back today doesn't have to be there. The only reason it's there is because you choose to leave it there. Because the Bible says, I'm more than a conqueror. I don't have to be bound by my past. I don't have to be bound by the messages that bombard my life from those who say I'm nothing. I am somebody because of what Christ has done in my life. I want to invite you to stand with me as we pray. Father, we just come to you right now. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the life that he he died to give us. And Lord, we thank you for the fact that we are your children. We thank you that you give us the power to overcome. We thank you that we're more than conquerors. We thank you that we don't have to to, to feel like we got to be somebody to the world. We just need to be somebody with you. And Father, I just thank you that you accept us where we are, bringing us into that salvation that you provide so willingly. Father, I pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, these things that I said can't be said of them because they don't know you, Father. I pray before they leave here today, they'll talk to myself or another pastor. Father, if there's someone here today that's just having a hard time, they've known you for years, but they still are under the bondage of their shame and guilt. They're still under the messages that have been told to them all their life. Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would just set them free, Father. Help them replace the lie for the truth. Lord, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.